Let me ask you to open up to the New Testament, to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me say again, a special word of greeting to our guests this morning. Uh, We're very happy you're here, and you are welcome anytime. And we certainly hope and pray that you'll be blessed uh, by your time with us this morning. Also, if you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one from the seats in front of you. Uh, You'll find in those Bibles our passage this morning on page 1014, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. What are we celebrating this morning? We are celebrating that... In real time and space, in real history, on a real day in Israel, I think probably April 5th, 33 AD, some people debate that, Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. He had been tortured, his body ripped open by the whip, he had been crucified on a cross. His body had been hurriedly laid in a borrowed tomb. And then the man who was dead was alive. Absolutely everything depends on this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is who he claimed he is. He, he really is the Son of God who died for sinners and now reigns from heaven, bringing history to its proper end. He will come again. He will gather all people before Him. There will be a day of judgment. Those who have come to know Him by His grace will go to heaven. Those who continue to live in rebellion against God will be cast into hell. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. The gospel is true. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Paul said it best of all in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christians are above all people most to be pitied. Because we are delusional, believing a lie, staking our entire happiness and security on a myth. A fairy tale. So where do you stand this morning when it comes to the resurrection? Either the resurrection's true, and it's all true. Jesus is who he said he is. The gospel is true. Christianity is true. It is imperative that you believe on Christ. Or the resurrection is a lie, and Christianity is a lie, and you should be doing anything else but being here this morning. Where do you stand? We have testimony We have eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus recorded for us, passed down to us. 
We have more eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus than we do most any of the other ancient events that we take for granted in history. We also have the fact that all 11 of Jesus' disciples, not counting Judas, who was dead by the time of the resurrection, but all 11 of the disciples of Jesus who saw Jesus raised from the dead, they went to their deaths declaring that they had seen him alive. Paul tells the Corinthians that more than 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection, most of whom were still alive when he was writing to the Corinthians, so that he was basically saying to them, if you don't believe me, just go find them and ask them. And of course, there is no better explanation for why Christianity exploded in the first century. How did Christianity go from a handful of followers to a religion that won the allegiance of millions as they were being hunted down, as they were being thrown to wild beasts and burnt at the stake and beheaded? What explains the amazing rapid growth of Christianity other than the fact that people of the first century were convinced by eyewitness testimonies of the resurrection? And when you read the book of Acts, you see over and over again that this is how the disciples, the apostles taught. They said, we are witnesses to the resurrection. We have been called to bear witness to the resurrection. They go into different cities and they say, we are here to bear witness to the resurrection. And of course, we now have 2,000 years of seeing Jesus do exactly what he said he would do. Build his kingdom through his people, until the day that he returns from heaven. And that's what's happened. The evidence of Jesus' resurrection is in this room this morning because we and millions more around the world are worshiping him today. It's he who saved us. It's he that we have come to know as Christians. It's he who from heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is accomplishing the work of building his church. Jesus is active right now. He's clearly alive and well, and he's very powerful. Now this morning, we're going to dive into a meaty, glorious few verses right here at the beginning of 1 Peter. It's one of my favorite resurrection passages because it's Peter full of joy, worshiping God and calling us, inviting us to worship with him. And this passage supports what the French skeptic Ernest Renan said in the 1800s about Christians. That skeptic said, you Christians live on the fragrance of an empty tomb. He meant it as an insult. You Christians live on the fragrance of an empty tomb. And I think we can say, yep. (laughs) Yes, we do. What is the fragrance of the empty tomb? It's the fragrance of hope. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. We have no hope. But because of the resurrection, oh, there is hope. And we who are believers have found it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
First Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter is about to say in verse 3 and following should cause us to worship God, to, to bless God, to love God all the more. Peter is praising God. Peter is calling us to join him in praising God. He says God is worthy of being praised. God is worthy of being blessed. Why? He has given us hope. He's writing to Christians in Asia Minor. He's writing to all Christians by the power of the spirits. And he's saying, bless God, because he has given us hope. And so let me just ask you right here, very beginning of the sermon, do you have hope in your chest this morning? Here is something that marks the true believer. He has hope. She has hope. And not just any hope, a a living hope. Do you have it? Now let's define our terms. What is hope? We talk about this often here at Mount Hermon. Because in our culture and in regular conversation, we use the word hope different than the Bible uses it. We often use the word hope to speak of something that we would like to see happen, though it may or may not happen. I hope it doesn't rain today, but it might. I I, I hope I get that promotion at work, but I might and I might not. I hope my team wins the tournament Probably not, if it's my team. I hope they can fix the Notre Dame Cathedral. I broke the vase. I hope mom doesn't find out. I think that's from the Brady Bunch, didn't they? Anyway. That's how we often use the word. We, it, it, I hope this happens, but it may or may not. In the Bible, the word hope, elpis, refers to a joyful and confident expectation of what God has promised. In the Bible, the word hope is not wishful thinking. It is confidence in the future blessing that has been promised by God and is sure to come. It is the eager expectation of something God has told you is coming your way. Since God cannot lie, since God is always faithful, we are sure it will come, and we wait for it expectantly. Hebrews 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Are you living with that kind of hope? Are you living with an eager expectation of what God has promised you is coming? Peter uses the phrase living hope. So what's a living hope? Well, I I think the best way to understand that is to compare it to a dead hope. 
Dead hope is like a dead animal. It doesn't do anything. Right? Uh, a dog, when it's alive, it, it, it runs and it barks and it licks and it wags its tail. A dead dog doesn't do anything. It's dead. A dead hope doesn't do anything. It, it isn't vibrant. It isn't productive. It's just dead. If the hope you have is a dead hope, it's not doing anything in your life. But a living hope is a hope that is active inside of you. It's a hope that causes you to live radically for Christ, even in the toughest circumstances. It's a hope that has power. It's a hope that is affecting the way you think. It's a hope that is affecting the way you you feel. It's a hope affecting the words you speak and the things you do. It's producing effects in your life. Living hope is shaping your character. What are the ingredients of a living hope? Three ingredients. Number one, there has to be a promise. A promise for the future from God. There's a promise. Then there's your confidence in that promise. God has said it. I believe Him. I have confidence in that promise. And then there's the effect. There's thoughts, feelings, words, actions that you take because of your confidence in that promise from God. That's what a living hope looks like. So here's Justin Martyr, second century. He's about to be beheaded by the Romans for his faith. And what does he say to them? He says, you can kill us, but you cannot do us any real harm. You can kill us, but you cannot do us any real harm. This is living hope. He's holding to a promise. God has said, if he is for us, who can be against us? God has said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All is working for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So Justin Martyr is is believing that promise. He has confidence in that promise. And what's the effect? He can speak with boldness to the Roman Empire. Kill me. You can do me no lasting harm. Where is his boldness coming from? Where is that witness coming from? Where is that courage coming from? He has hope. Not just any hope. A living hope. How would you respond when the doctor comes into that room with the grim look on his face? And the doctor sits you down and he says, we've got your results and they were not what we were hoping for. Are you going to fall apart? Are you going to spiral out of control? Is your life going to unravel? Or do you have a living hope? The policeman shows up at your door with the news that nobody ever wants to hear. Someone you love has been in an accident and died. Do you have a living hope? If you lose your job, suddenly you're you're unable to pay the bills, it looks like you're going to lose your home. Do you have a living hope? Maybe nothing like that. Maybe nothing like that is going to happen in your life. But on the day of your death, when you breathe your last How will you die? 
Will you die with hope beating in your chest? Will you die with the eager expectation, Lord Jesus, you've promised I'm going to see your face. I'm ready to see it. Would you be able to say like Richard Baxter on his deathbed? He said, I have pain, but I have peace. Oh, I have peace. Samuel Rutherford, lying on his deathbed, I am in the happiest past to which man ever came. Christ is mine. I am his. There's nothing between me and resurrection except paradise. Or even the missionary Adoniram Judson Such a hard life he lived. And yet here he is on his deathbed. And he said, I go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. Apparently he didn't like school. Right? I go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from school. Do you have that kind of hope? Are you able to face the trials of today and the greater troubles of tomorrow with a living hope inside of you? Oh, you should want this hope if you don't have it. The Bible has so much to say about it. According to Psalm 42, Lamentations 3, having this hope brings your soul encouragement when God feels like he's a thousand miles away. And those moments when God feels like he's a thousand miles away and you're praying and it sounds like your prayers are just hitting the roof and coming back down and you feel so alone, where do you find comfort? Hope in the promises of God. Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Do you feel alone this morning? Hope in the promises of God. This kind of hope brings joy to our lives. Proverbs 10.28 The hope of the righteous brings joy. Romans 5.2 We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We could preach a whole sermon on that one, right? We rejoice in the eager expectation of of the glory of God. We're going to behold His glory in the face of Christ. We're going to actually be made partakers of that glory. We're going to reflect the glory of Christ in heaven. We're going to be in the place where there's no need for lamp, for sun, because Jesus is the light. Are you living with that kind of hope? The kind of hope that gives you joy. This kind of hope in us brings God pleasure. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. You want to make God smile? Hope in God. This kind of hope teaches us patience. Psalm, uh, Romans 8, 24, 25, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. How did you learn patience as a child? Yes, honey, you may have the cookie, but you have to wait for it. Eager expectation. Mama said, I'm going to get it. And you're waiting. We learn patience through hope. Do you need more, more patience? Hope in God. This kind of hope creates boldness. 2 Corinthians 3.12 Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
Are you a scaredy cat? Are you lacking in boldness? Are you lacking in courage when all the people around you are saying false things? And you know as a Christian you ought to say the truth, but you, you just, you're scared. You don't want your friends to look down on you. You don't want your coworkers to think you're weird. And, and are you lacking in boldness? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Hope in the promises of God. On and on we can go. Colossians 1, 3 through 5 says that it's this kind of hope that enables us to love one another. You want to be a more loving person? Hope in the promises of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says it's this kind of hope that gives us comfort when a believer dies. Uh, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. In other words, if you have this kind of hope beating in your chest, that when your brother or sister in Christ dies, you have a reason not to grieve the way the rest of the world grieves. And of course, this kind of hope gives us something wonderful to talk about. When your sins are forgiven and heaven is ahead for you, you want to talk about that. Hebrews 3, 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And that word there, boasting, is the idea of speaking loudly. It's the idea of proclaiming. It's the idea of shouting our hope in God. That we love to talk about the promises of God. We can't stop talking about the promises of God. One day I'm going to go to heaven. Is that that not exciting, dear Christian? This life is, and it's over, and you're going to heaven? I mean, who cares if you have to wait behind that person at the red light? You're going to heaven. Is that affecting you? Is it changing you? Is that a living hope inside of you? (sighs) Trying to get a contractor to work on your house. It takes two years to get them to do anything. Right? You've applied to 47 different jobs. You can't see it. You're going to heaven! Changes everything. So Peter's writing to Christians... He's saying God is to be praised. Why is God to be praised? Because he's giving this this living hope. We've seen that this hope is an eager expectation of what God has promised. And it has wondrous effects in a person's life. Now, exactly what are we hoping in? The ultimate answer is God himself. (laughs) At the end of the day... What we're hoping in is God himself. It's because we believe he's faithful. It's because we believe he will certainly do good to all who trust in him. That's why we have this hope. But in this passage, Peter draws our attention particularly to our inheritance. Our inheritance. Do you see that in verses 3 through 5? Let's look at it. Verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what are we eagerly expecting? An inheritance from God. 
Normally, we think of an inheritance as something a father leaves a child when the father dies. In this case, it's reversed. The inheritance is from the father, but it only comes to the child in fullness after the child dies. It is when we die that we truly come into this inheritance. And it is especially at the end of all things. And the new heavens and the new earth that we will experience the inheritance with all its fullness. But Peter says this inheritance is imperishable. It will not spoil. It will not sour. It's undefiled. It is pure. There's no defects in this inheritance. It is unfading. It will not slip away. Heaven will not be less glorious after 20 trillion years than it was the first day. Indeed, it will be more so. And it is being kept in heaven for you. God is guarding your inheritance. Oh, Mount Hermon, there are many hopes that we have in this life as Christians. As I think about what God has promised in tomorrow, what, what can I trust is true of tomorrow? What can I eagerly expect for tomorrow? I can eagerly expect that there will be trouble. That's a promise from God. Do you know that? There's going to be trouble. I can also eagerly expect that Jesus will not leave me nor forsake me. I can eagerly expect that God's love will not be taken away from me. I can eagerly expect that all will work for my good and that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But among all the promises of God, the greatest joy-giving hope that we have is the hope of heaven itself when we will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our greatest hope is being with Jesus forever. Is is that your greatest hope? Is that what you long for? Like the bride waiting for her groom to come over the horizon to take her to himself. Is that how you live? Are you waiting for Jesus? John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, not mansions. In my Father's house are many rooms. It doesn't make sense for there to be mansions in His house. And, and the picture of heaven is not that Jesus is living in this mansion and then you're down the street in that mansion. That's not the picture of heaven. The picture of heaven in John 14 is God's house is a big, big house with lots and lots of room. Big, big table, lots and lots of food. Anyway, that God's house is a really, really big house and that you live in that house with him. The picture of heaven that Jesus gives us is of intimacy with God, living in and beholding the glory of God. When we look forward to heaven, we're not looking forward to a mansion. We're looking forward to living with God. Jesus says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is our hope. That one day where Jesus is, we're going to be there too with him. By the way, this is a great test of whether or not you're a Christian. Because if you're like, oh, being with Jesus, eh, you're not a Christian. But if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if nothing delights your heart more than the thought of being with Jesus forever, you're a Christian. That's a Holy Spirit wrought grace in your soul. So our hope is ultimately set on the promise of being with Christ forever in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our inheritance as children of God. Now let's get to the crucial issue. 
how do we know this hope is sure? I mean, we're sticking everything on this. How do we know that our hope will not be disappointed? You might say, Justin, it's obvious. Jesus said so. You just read from John 14. Jesus just said he's going to come and take us to be with him, that where he is, we will always be. You just heard the promise. Jesus said so. I know. How do you know you can trust Jesus? You know, he wasn't the only person walking around Israel in the first century claiming to be the Messiah. Did you know that? There were folks that came before and a few that came after. Why do you believe this man? How do you know that when you die, it's not just all over? If you're living with this hope, I'm going to die and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. How do you know that your hope is well placed? Answer. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus got up from the dead, it was the greatest evidence that his claims are true, that his promises are sure, and that our hope in him is well placed. The victory of Christ over death was the victory of all the promises of God. Because of the resurrection, all the promises of God are now yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He is not a dead Christ, and therefore ours is not a dead hope. Jesus is not simply a man of the past who lived for a few years and then was dead. He is a living Christ, ascended into heaven with all authority in heaven and on earth having been given to him. And because he is a living Christ, ours is a living hope. Understand this about the resurrection. The resurrection is the greatest declaration of all that Christ truly did finish the work that his father gave him to do. The resurrection is the final word that Jesus really did satisfy the justice of God, paying the penalty for the guilt of all the sins of every person who would ever believe on him. At the cross, Jesus really did deal Satan and the forces of darkness a fatal blow. At the cross, Jesus really did bear the curse of God in the place of sinners. And because his work was done, because he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, God raised him up. Death no longer had any claims on Jesus. God has now exalted him. God has brought Jesus into his heavenly reward. And when we believe on Jesus, we are united to him so that all the blessings of Christ become our blessings as well. Mount Hermon, now that Jesus is risen and exalted, who can disrupt any of God's promises to you? Who can keep Jesus from fulfilling every word that God spoke to you? Who's stronger than Jesus? Who can hinder his right arm? Jesus is committed to doing his people good. Jesus is committed to fulfilling every promise God made to us. There is nothing in all creation that can stop it from happening. If you've entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, your hope is well-founded and your future in heaven is secure. Amen? And so I need to ask, 
Dear friend, is it well with your soul this morning? Are you able to rejoice this Easter morning because the resurrection of Jesus means one day you will be in heaven? Are you able to join in that celebration or could it be that you have never been united to Christ? Could it be that Jesus' resurrection doesn't affect you because you're not one of His? Dear friend, is hell still in your future? Because you refuse to lay down your pride and give your allegiance to the King of Kings. Jesus is alive and well. He's willing to save. You don't need to doubt that. He calls you even now to come to Him. He's the only way of salvation. John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here by the grace of God, you're here this morning. By the grace of God, you're you're given this opportunity to hear the gospel and to repent. Maybe you've heard gospel invitations 10,000 times before. Are you continuing to reject them? Is your conscience becoming seared? Are you hardening your heart so that Jesus, through preachers, Jesus, through the word is saying, come to me, come to me. And you're saying, no, not right now. No, not right now. No, not yet. No, not right now. One day those gospel calls might stop coming. Is your heart hardens and you don't find yourself in church anymore. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when you can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I don't have the power to reach in and change your heart and save you. But I pray that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you would celebrate the resurrection with us today by trusting in the one who is alive and well and reigning and coming again.